If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, um, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. I want to read uh, verses 1 through 22. And of course, you're familiar with this text. It's where the people are crying out for a king over them. And I remember uh, one vivid uh, sermon by John Weaver where he was going through this chapter. And years ago, I heard this sermon, and he emphasized the word take every time it came across in this passage. And it put a sense of just the, the robbery, so to speak, of the king, what he would take from the people. And I've never left that emphasis. Every time I come across this, that, that sermon comes to my mind And I thought I would do something in the same vein to give you that emphasis on the take aspect of what a king will do, but also wanted to read a few portions of the text and emphasizing what I see as the way the king is going to take these things and why he takes these things. So that's why I'm going to kind of read this with a bit of an emphasis. So on those, those key things for that reason. Okay, and it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give to us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds that they have done since the day I brought them from, up from Egypt to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now listen to their voice, however. You shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him of king. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen. And they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and fifties to do, to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters and perfumers and cooks... Uh, 
and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves, and he will give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will also take your male servants and your female servants and your young men and your donkeys, and they will use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer to you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, and we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. And I'll end the reading there. Lord Acton rightly said, Famously, power tends to corrupt and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. I believe it was in the same sermon where John Weaver had rightly pointed out, it's not actually power that corrupts. Lord Acton actually had said power tends to corrupt. Because you see, God is all-powerful. He is supreme power, and there's no corruption in him. And so it's not power that actually corrupts. What corrupts is a sinful heart when it is given, entrusted with power, that that can easily be out of control unless that heart is governed by God, unless it is converted by our Heavenly Father. Government is power, and the office of presidency of the United States of America is arguably the most powerful position of any man on earth. And if that power is not governed by a, by a humble servant that is tempered by the transcendent, objective law of God, all manner of evil will be propagated against its citizenry. Self-interest will triumph the rights of citizens, and governors become tyrants. And that is why I wanted to address the congregation by taking a little bit of a detour in our sermon series on the cross and pause for a moment to consider what tyranny is and to try to unmask what tyranny looks like. And today I want to look at three aspects, and let me tell you, my list is much, much, much longer than three, but three that I want to start with, starting with what I see as perhaps the most important problem. The greatest problem is, point number one on your outlines, that tyrants reject God's authority. Verse 7, the Lord had said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people 
and in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel's sons had become corrupt uh, in their judging. They had not followed God's ways, and the people believe they have a solution, but their solution is something of a worldly solution. It is not God's solution. This is the same problem that happened in the Enlightenment period that I like to refer to as the Endarkenment period, where we remember the the saying of the Enlightenment was homo mensur, that man is the measure. Man is the supreme one. Power, authority, truth does not transcend man, but man is the chief. And the biggest dog on the hill, so to speak, is the winner, the one who stands atop with the greatest might. During the Stuart dynasty, this, this idea comes to fruit in the divine right of kings, where James and... Charles I and Charles II believed that if they made a proclamation, that was the supreme authority, and the rule was not to be violated. There was no appeal to any higher. The buck stopped with the king, and we know the story and how that turned out. This is what happens when governments become secular, seculum simply meaning world, but world not in a global sense, but world in the sense of this created realm at the denial of the transcendent, the divine, the godly. It manifests itself in the whims of men becoming rules, political correctness, scientific absolutism, And when it comes to ethics and civil law, it is man does what is right in his own eyes. This brings decay to a nation. This is tyranny. The king, the prince, the magistrate, the ruler, the president are biblically obligated to be a minister or a servant of God. Romans 13, 4 and 6. You might just know there are two distinct Greek words, one in four is diakonos, that we get our word deacon from, and in verse six is liturgoi, which means it's the one we, we get liturgy from, the ordering of the affairs of scripture, I mean of worship. And so the, the king is to be one who orders society for the glory of God, that he serves as a deacon, as a servant And so we know that the rulers are vice regents. They have a delegated power from God. And when people who vote for a secular atheist or a nominal Christian, they choose for themselves inherently one who will become a tyrant. Now, when a magistrate may inherit a throne by right, or usurps a throne by violence, or purchases the office through bribes, or steals an election by fraudulent means, if he is not aligned with God and his holy laws, 
He is but a servant of Satan. He is a tyrant. Governments become, as Augustine rightly pointed out, governments that are divorced from God's holy standards are nothing more than great bands of robbers. You hear the take, 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 take in the passage we read. The king gains to himself Tyranny, according to the Webster's Dictionary, is an arbitrary or despotic exercise of power, the exercise of power over subjects and others with a rigor not authorized by law or justice and in the mind of Webster clearly is God's standard of law and justice. Or it continues, not requisite for the purposes of government, hence tyranny is often synonymous with cruelty and oppression. And we want to unmask that. And so tyrants, first of all, deny God. They reject God and his authority. Secondly, tyrants establish a standing army. Verse 11, notice, He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. You see, what happens is the king now establishes a military might to fight his wars. Our sons are obligated to fight the wars based upon the values of the the commander-in-chief. What happens when the commander-in-chief decides to put our children in harm's way, life-threatening circumstances for a cause that you cannot in clear conscience agree with? What are your options for saying, uh, no thank you, sir, with all due respect? The challenge to the standing army is that the people fight the king's wars that he determines are worthy of shedding our children's blood for. Rarely his own. Our founding fathers were of a different breed. They had a different mindset. In fact, this is penned in our second Amendment that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state and the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Why? Because a militia is an armed citizenry that defends itself when enemies foreign attack a domestic land or when enemies rise up within the nation that the militia can be called in to fight the wars that are necessary and important to the people. Tyrants hate militias. And tyrants, in fact, hate the Second Commandment. I'm Second Amendment. They hate the Second Commandment, too, but the Second Amendment. Uh, that is why they seek to disarm citizens through onerous licenses, Restriction of sales, registration of guns, ammo, propagandizing the whole situation. Um, This makes the defense that God has given to us as a right hindered. 
And the experts is one bumper sticker. Had it right. The experts, gun control works, ask the experts, and picture of Hitler, Mao Zedong, Stalin, Mussolini, and Idi Amin. <laughs> All of these tyrannical communist dictators, registered weapons, seized its citizens' weaponry just before they mass-murdered an unarmed citizenry. And now that Napoleon and Snowball have ousted old Farmer Jones from the White House, they will do all they can to get your guns. And you can mark my words. This week, New York... Notice this happens in New York. It doesn't happen in Texas or in Montana. New York judge just allowed a lawsuit to go forward for the dissolution of the National Rifle Association. I remember back at Sandy Hook where there's one of the great poster pictures is a a police officer with his hand on a hanging AR-15 with his finger at the side of the trigger holding a little boy, or I, I think it was a little boy, a child, and the child's other hand was holding his mother's hand, and they were all walking peaceably down the road. The poster to a, a situation that sparked outrage over the AR-15 and assault weapons in the hands of Americans, and how this could happen. And it's just like, you have to see the hypocrisy of this. Why is it that that police officer was not a threat with an AR-15 on him? And every American citizen somehow is, is locked into the activity of the criminal rather than seeing that the vast majority of Americans are on the side of the police officer who have the moral integrity and wisdom to not shoot an AR-15 in an irresponsible way. A few stats. 10 million AR-15s in the hands of U.S. citizens. How many have been used in violent crimes, you might ask? Well, the Bureau of Justice Statistics uh, Stats from between 2007 and 2017, an average number of homicides, 13,657 homicides per year. One-tenth of one percent of those were committed by an AR-15, which means there were less than 14 deaths per year in America by an AR-15. The article by the Foundation for Economic Education made this conclusion about that statistic. At this rate, it would take almost 100 years of mass shootings with an AR-15 to produce the same number of homicide victims that knives and sharp objects could produce in one year. Is the problem automatic? semi-automatic weapons in the hands of American citizens. And yet you can have Nancy Pelosi, who I am going to name Squealer from now on. Squealer can call for a, quote, 
crew manned machine guns to be secured for the inauguration, according to Ken Cuccinelli. That she could have fully automatic military assault rifles to keep her safe, but Americans can't have a semi-automatic rifle, far less deadly, in their hands. Do you see the elitist double standard? That's tyranny. Because her life, in her mind, is more important than your life. Tyrants want our children to fight their wars while taking away all reasonable means of defense from the citizens they serve. And I could go on, but you get the point. The third point I want to leave before you in terms of unmasking tyranny is that tyrants control the means of of production. Verse 12, our children are going to be used for for the plowing of the king to reap his harvest, to make his weapons of war and the like, that the fruits of production of working class citizens go into the coffers of the king. They are used to their particular advantages rather than to be the rightful fruits of citizens. But when the general public increases its wealth, taxes flow into the government at a, at a higher rate, it increases the, uh, the business owner's wealth, it increases the wealth of its workers, and everybody prospers, and the standard of living increases. This is why America at one time had the highest standard of living. How long that will remain, I don't know, but it came from a free market, not from tyranny. Governments do not produce anything tangible. They may print paper money, but they do not create wealth. Governments are supported through our taxes. And yes, we must give to Caesar what is rightfully Caesar's. But that should never, I believe, exceed the tithe. God uses this passage to tell us that he wants a tithe of everything that he gets. And this is condemned. This is said, this is tyranny. When your king says, I want tenth of your produce, that's tyranny. And how much do we pay in taxes today? And if you think you're not under a tyrant, I don't know. When outflows exceed inflows, debts increased, nations go bankrupt. In 19, uh, 2019, the total gross domestic product in America was $21.3 trillion. The national debt today is in excess of $28 trillion. That's 130% of all we create in, a, in an entire year, the entire wealth, every working individual in America in 2019. And it's probably going to be worse when st- statistics come in for 2020. 130% our debt is greater than everything we produce. It's irresponsible theft of the taxpayer and irresponsible usage of it. I could go on with example after example after example, Solyndra stimulus packages, the, the kind of pork that goes into our, our bills today. Rulers are to be ones who punish evil. They are not to be this sugar daddy 
or the nursery of uh, indifference and laziness. They're not to be overlords. They are to represent us. They're to serve as servants of God and then servants of the people. They are not to be tyrants. And sadly, our representatives today have become nothing more than uh, career elites serving their own self-interest through backroom deals, money laundering schemes, pork projects, and the like. They've become nothing more than what Augustine had warned us of great bands of robbers. COVID restrictions this year are just was one of the most glaring moves of tyranny in my mind when over 30% of our small businesses, it is estimated, will no longer be open. Killed 30% of our production in small businesses in the middle class and no end in sight. This is criminal. It's theft. It's robbery. We could go on with favoritism and nepotism. Notice verse 14. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. Do I need to talk about Gavin Newsom and Squealer? Gavin Newsom just spent what will cost nearly a billion dollars of taxpayer money to secure hotels that have gone virtually bankrupt because of his own policies to to house homeless. Dianne Feinstein's husband somehow just happens to offer the best contract possible for the high-speed bullet train that everyone knew was a doomed project, the stupidest idea ever conceived in the whole history of humanity next to the the, uh, New Green Deal, a, a bullet train from Merced to Bakersfield. What fresh hell is this? Who could see that that wasn't going to succeed? Who couldn't see that? And Diane Feinstein's husband just happens to land a billion-dollar contract. And what seemed like just a couple months later, the whole thing gets thrown out. What happened to that money? What happened to the half a billion dollars that was given to Solyndra? That's our money. And our governments dole it out. It just makes me sick. Governors must rule for righteousness. They must kiss the Lord or perish in the way. They conspire together against Jesus Christ, and they craft and they scheme to steal our money for their own elitist gain. This is the beginning of unmasking what tyranny looks like in the land. God has warned us about this. And folks, I, as I look at the way things are going, obviously from the Sunday school to today, you can tell it's about time we unmask this monster and call it out for what it is. And may God give us the grace to recognize this is why we don't put our hope in princes. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still on the throne, and we serve him with faithfulness. But there's a time when we have to say, enough is enough. 
and you've crossed the line. So let's pray that God would give us the grace to do that for his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are indeed our Lord. And we pray for the grace to be faithful to you while we live under the heavy hand of tyranny. We pray for our repentance as a nation. Because, Lord, you're perfectly just in giving to us the kind of leadership that we, des- that we have today. This is the leadership we deserve because we have sinfully neglected you, your word, your standards, and to stand up when these things are being eroded and taken away at such, an, such a level. So give us the grace, O oh Lord, to bear up under your hand of discipline. And I pray that you would wake America up to her sin and to give us the grace of repentance and that we would fight for, instruct, and hold accountable a righteous government that indeed bows its knee to King Jesus. And we'll give you the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108 and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The church with the crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m. We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.